Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. This old fashioned stuff and a kind of old school counter surveillance things they... and they're still very prevalent aren't they um th- there's something interesting about like crime in general so um wh- when i when i look into crime it seems that the idea or the conception is that um crime is committed by either very poor people or people that are kind of forced into the life due to maybe socioeconomic or, or class reasons. Um, wh- when I looked into sort of a bit about your, your childhood and upbringing, it seemed that you had a fairly a decent upbringing in terms of, I think your, your, your father was a, um, was a war hero and your mother was a, um, I don't know if war hero is too strong of a word, but I don't know. Your father was... He was in the, uh, <laughs> uh, in, he was in the division. He, got to the rank of major but don't expect that yeah. means terribly much it was a ranking because he controlled the um radio jamming network and uh okay. propaganda units uh yeah. just during the war and after uh, yeah. and he ended up working for um rediffusion which was itv before what it was today so yeah, yeah um I had, there was a divorce early but nonetheless yeah. um uh i had a good upbringing uh yeah. Loving parents, um, something that passes for an education. I had a couple of good teachers that always helped. Mm. Uh, yeah. Thrown out of a very good school. Um, misunderstanding with the chemistry teacher. There, <laughs> it happens. He seemed to get I had a misunderstanding with my English teacher. So. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> seemed to think I wanted to um, whip up a batch of LSD. I don't know where he got that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway. Um, so here's the thing, I, uh, just speaking for myself, I mm. probably always would have been a risk taker. I've mm. got a low resting heartbeat and don't have a, um, a correctly balanced um, sense of uh, risk, reward and, and fear. So um, that makes people more inclined to take, take risks. But having... Look, I'm, I've spent 45 years or more uh, underground and in with a lot of people in a lot of different places and a lot of jails. I've probably met 10,000 people in passing throughout jails. Um, is there anything to it that um, somebody is um, born into some hardship or in some country where there's a... Um, it, it looks like they can never win by being honest. Um, <clears throat> and would they be dishonest? Strangely enough, it doesn't seem to make the difference you would expect. It does in a minor way. I mean, you'll get somebody 
um, you've got a family man breaking a law, crossing a border from Syria to get out, but he won't be the kind of person we're talking about. The kind of people who go into crime um, as near on a, a career, they might say uh, that, um, when trying to justify themselves, that look, my parents never had any money, or they were alcoholics, or my uncle used to beat me, or uh, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't very good at school, and this was the only thing I could do. It doesn't really add up on the numbers. Um, you still get the same um, spread of people you know, making mis mischief for a living than, than otherwise. I think it's probably some comfort to people to say that I had an impoverished childhood mm. or um, where I was... Uh, I was in a minority. They didn't like Pakistanis where I was, or uh, they they didn't like uh, say. Now I I can see um, that being some sort of impetus, really. I I I would think if I was born in I don't know uh, Alabama or something in the sixties. I could imagine going into my, and, and I was black, I, I'd imagine going to my parents at about the age when you can understand anything at nine or ten and say, you guys sure you had the right idea having me? I mean, <laughs> seriously, what are my career options here? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, join the Marines and get probably killed, and that way I'll get a bit of respect or become a pimp. I mean, thanks very much, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'll get excluded from half the schools that are any good, or I'll go to one of some kind of pretend equivalent one. Um, I think whoever decides that uh, their circumstances are uh, uh, have put them behind the, um, the getting opportunities that other people seem to get easily, <clears throat> they will find that the world they've jumped out of is going to be just as challenging. Uh, as as uh, the, the prejudices that they've left behind. Um, <clears throat> when I was in, and, and I'm not just speaking from looking at it from outside, when I was arrested in Thailand, <clears throat> like most of the others um, arrested on drug cases, you, you get put in chains at first and you're shuffling yeah. around. Um, okay, they don't treat you as badly as the Thais get treated. Uh, because they're under some illusion that the embassies give a shit, which they don't. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> or there's uh, some uh, organization that might interfere. But um, I, uh, you start to pick up the local language. And, and I heard early on two ties <clears throat> looking over and one educating the other one saying, oh, no, there's uh, Farang, you know, the foreigners, uh, mm. white people. They're just white trash. That's all they are. I mean, <clears throat> they don't. The word doesn't translate exactly, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> now this is being considered white trash for a few months until I manipulated my way into a position of respect within the prison. Um, that is n nothing comparable to being born with the crushing weight of some. Um, 
a whole society making life difficult for you. Mm. But um, it it doesn't. It it just gave me the idea that well, so what? Um, whatever it is, I'm going to have to. I would have wanted, even if I was born into the elite of the the Thai society, I'd still want to make my mark in the world, and yeah. I'd still want to be something. So, <clears throat> um, and um, we were. I was from a generation that was very. Um, kind of open-minded anyway, back in the 60s and 70s, um, we thought that the younger people would have a revolution and change the world. That's how naive we were. We thought I think that, every generation uh, goes through that. We're, we're currently going through that at the moment as well with everyone that kind of reads the work of Marx and assume that they can go out there and change the world on their own and um, as a collective sometimes. So it's quite interesting. Don't you think, though, that um, say you get a wave of sentiment flows through society over something. Mm. I remember when Princess Diana was killed, uh, there was a really disproportionate flow of sentiment. Uh, mm. I guess you were pretty young when that happened. Yeah. Um, but it, the whole of London nearly closed down Yeah. Uh, and was all teary-eyed. I kind of felt that it, it matched... Um, Every so often, a society feels like having a, not exactly a party, but an, a release of emotions, mm. um, even if there's nothing to have a release of emotions about. And they'll mm. soak up a cause, even if it's, again, a, a bit weak and doesn't stand much scrutiny. Um, we were protesting against the Vietnam War because we like protests. Mm. <laughs> um, when the police would pick us up and give us a couple of slaps and then drag us back and say, we see you back at that protest, you'll be in real trouble. we <laughs> yeah. straight back in there. Yeah. This is really just like fun. Mm. Um, and I think um, in, in the last few years, we've seen um, things where uh, people have gone out on the streets and, and felt like they were part of something. Yeah. And yet, some of the causes to me uh, seem relatively weak compared to some of the um, injustices of you know, a few generations ago. The, uh, <clears throat> when the old former Soviet Union used to crush dissent and East German Stasi police or, uh, wow, we can go to the real extreme and look at, um, for a while, Cambodia was called Kampuchea, run by a guy called Pol Pot. If you had spectacles, you got executed because you, know, you were considered you know, part of the intelligentsia. And, yeah. Uh, Phnom Penh was um, evacuated. Oh, he made it year zero, Pol Pot. The calendar didn't count anymore. Money was abolished. This guy mm. was extreme. Um, and yet, um, nobody uh, really objected to it. It, it. it didn't affect us. So... You know, these causes are, um, I, I think I'm old and cynical, but I, I think they're more or less just a, a, a way of people feeling like uh, they're part of something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, what if we had, um, oh yeah, the Extinction Rebellion was one mm. uh, that was, uh, or is, uh, slightly 
some well, the cause is not so much discredited, uh, though anything with Greta Thunberg sitting up there <laughs> and squealing at us like a oh, brat. Yeah, it's, it's very you interesting. Stole my childhood, <laughs> you bastards. Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at the interesting thing is when you look at her parents and um, they they drive in factor behind everything she's doing, you kind of realize where it all comes from, and then having like a whole bunch of like adults and grown ups and supposedly intelligent people seeing her as the savior of the planet with um, her methods is very interesting because I was actually around um, East London when there was a massive protest and they blocked off the train station and people were trying to get to work and they're preventing normal day to day people from getting yeah. into work. To in their families and it's almost <clears throat> counterproductive because you're trying to get people on your side but everything you're doing is infuriating <laughs> the same <laughs> yeah. people that you're trying to send a message to so but nonetheless those people are doing it they feel like they, they're doing it for a greater purpose and a greater good and at the same time it's having this weird counterproductive like effect on society and it's very strange it's, there's a lot of strange stuff happening right now do you think that they're really to me um <clears throat> And they're enjoying their moment, and they, and they yeah. feel like they've got a cause. I presume they feel some illusory sense of passion about it within themselves. I, I hope they're not entirely, you know, um, just opportunistic and using it as a as a, an excuse to make trouble around town, and you know, for the kind of rave party element of it. But let's just say, and give everybody the benefit of the doubt that they passionately believe something or other about it. <clears throat> Um, the, 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 as you said, the justification is whatever inconvenience uh, that, that's thrown onto people. Uh, how can they, uh, they surely would know that, um, for in, that a lot of the protests where, um, there is not a singular thing, um, for example, you know, uh, if we have a cause like Reuben Carter, uh, and Bob Dylan had a protest song about him, you know, being locked up uh, for a, a murder he probably didn't commit, almost certainly didn't commit. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> he still spent over 20 years in prison, but he was finally freed. That is a very, to me, that, that you've got a clear object in mind. And um, if, if, so <clears throat> it's worth going to taking a, a direct line to that one. But where you are asking people to do something that's not within their power to do, um, if really governments are taking more of an interest in uh, carbon emissions perhaps than they ever did, um, and that is, okay, a little to do with public sentiment, but as much to do with economics and technology anyway. You can imagine when... Um, nuclear fusion finally uh, brings about uh, cheap electric power, all the, uh, the carbon issue will be reduced to cows farts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because those cows farting uh, to produce all that meat is, is quite a heavy emitter. Um, mm -hmm. And when there's no more um, combustion engine cars around to, to do that kind of uh, polluting, I, I really, I, I don't know what the uh, the protesters, I, I, to listen to them, they, they say, we, we want governments to commit to such and such or other. Well, the government isn't much. They're just a bunch of people living in hope. 
Um, <laughs> it's a real pain, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and, and and on a personal level, they're just um, they will be whatever is perceived as as electable, and that is their only function. Uh, if you're a politician, and, oh, what's it? What do you have to do to be a politician? You have to get elected. And once you get elected, what do you have to do? You have to get on top of everybody else who's also elected. I really think those are their only two functions that they have in mind. Um, and um, having looked at people uh, as... Um, when I had a lot of couriers, they were more than couriers to me. They were um, almost like a little family I had to take care of. I had to come to understand their thinking very well, as best I could anyway, also understand the thinking of the um, their little wall of death, the, the crossing of the customs line, so the thinking of the, of the opposition in that way. Um, and as you get more and more experience of that, um, I'm thinking if you're a kind of relaxed sort of person, you become very forgiving about human frailty. Um, because often there's not whatever troubles you have, you've dug the hole and thrown yourself in it. Um, somebody said to me when there was a guy in the Bangkok prison who <clears throat> conned me out of quite a bit of money, and, and which I didn't really like. Some of my friends who contributed a lot of money to an escape fund that he just spent, uh, and, and people later on said to me, "Didn't you throw that guy off a cliff afterwards?" Yeah. Uh, and I thought, <clears throat> well, if um, it had actually done anything apart from fleece everybody, I'd take it more seriously. But the point is, it wasn't so much of the betrayal in the normal sense. I knew when I met him that this guy was probably a bullshitter. Yeah. But I was so far down at that stage, you know, I, I just wanted to press the that button that says you never existed. <laughs> How much did you finesse you for? Oh, about uh, 75,000 or something. Uh, but mostly, but there was about 50,000 from my Thai friends outside who were trying to get me out. Yeah. But as I, um, I even traced him down, not to bring him any misfortune, but just to, uh, to tell him, uh, Dean, you were, uh, I kind of knew you wouldn't do anything. Uh, he had made a couple of fumbling sort of attempts to raise some cap more capital because he'd spent too much of what he'd got from me. Mm. But who knows where that would have gone. But what he'd given me was, it might have been an illusory hope, but it was hope enough to keep me alive at a stage when I didn't want to be. Yeah, uh, Alive long enough so that nature's own kind of mental repair um, kicks in and, and brings you back out of the, the depths. Um, it was probably only when a policeman came in and said to me, um, oh, well, look, you, oh, we, we don't think you'll actually be executed in the very end, but you'll be five years on death row, which is, you're in these really heavy elephant chains in death mm. row. They weld them on too because they're never coming off. Wow, so um, you're only 24-7? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you need to... Um, I, I saw a guy there with those things on, 
I saw the welds on them. I said, how do they do that? <laughs> well, they put a kind of bit of uh, animal hide underneath and weld away. Oh. And uh, I didn't want to ask him how they came off. Apparently, when you get executed, they have a sitting over in the room where the execution takes place, a big machete. And one of the trustees comes in and chops your ankles off. And that way they wow. get the chains back. <laughs> Uh, because the chains are quite you know, worth something. Uh, yeah. yeah. But um, the, um, at that stage, um, and things were so bleak that it was worth 75000 to a flim-flam artist to mm-hmm. um, um, give me some reason to um, keep going. Um, it just seemed to me that the odds of being um, ever succeeding at anything um, uh, were so light. But here's another thing we were talking before about, you know, um, um, succeeding at something difficult and and looking back on it. Even when I got out of that prison in Bangkok, sure, I was really relieved that I hadn't been caught because that was going to be grim um, all the ones who'd been caught before and there'd only been a half dozen over many many years they'd been you're caught. the first to ever successfully escape right as far yes as far as I know well yeah, two ties got to the top of the wall and because it's got electricity running around it uh, yeah. they got a tingle and, and fell over into um, kind of monastery uh, and the monks uh-huh brought them a cup of water and then you know, called the jail straight away. Uh, and and the, the, I was going to go with this uh, big Swedish guy, uh, Sten. But he he kind of backed out of it. And I really needed him uh, because he was very strong and very big. Um, some of the things were just exhausting to do on this escape. But um, a couple of Israelis had turned up a few weeks before uh, D-Day from when I was meant to go. And they'd escaped from a little lockup up north in Chiang Mai. And they went to the guest house where they were staying and they knew somebody. He bled them dry of their little bit of money. I think they were not, about 12,000. They had no after-escape plan. The most important part of escape is what to do afterwards, you know, yeah. where to go. Um, they didn't have backup documents or, or, or friends to supply them. Uh, so the, they were eventually caught and they were dragged down to a kind of dungeon in Chiang Mai and they broke their legs with iron bars and put rocks on top of them. Well, they would have been dead except they'd been pretty tough in these two guys. They'd been in the uh, Israeli Defence Force and um, you know, they they, one helped the other one brought him dragged in agony out from the rocks and, and gave him some water. So the guards were pretty surprised to see them still alive after 10 days. But when they arrived back in Bangkok, they wouldn't put up with them there. They, they were sent to the high security prison. They were in these heavy chains, but their legs looked like... Imagine some angry kid at McDonald's grabs a fistful of drinking straws and crushes them in his hand and throws oh, wow. them around. Yeah. They were all twisted sideways. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm trying, just before my Swedish friend sees these guys, I'm trying to make light of it. Stan, you wouldn't believe it. I was just around the corner. There, there a couple of saps came from up north. 
Oh, did they make a mess of things? Of course, the Thais treated them pretty badly. <laughs> anyway, Stan looked at me like, what the fuck? And he, and he took a look at these guys and thought, oh, I don't want to end up like that. Mm. Uh, so... Um, Is he still serving life there? What happened to Stan? I mean, he, he probably regretted not coming in the end. Uh, yeah. Because he he was uh, he did twelve years altogether, got transferred back to Sweden, and they made him yeah. do a few more there. Yeah. Um, he's all right, but um, he this was his explanation. I mean, I've been at him to give me some mm. functions to get his passport done, and that did seem a very iffy thing. Uh, would these passports be any good once we got out? Um, but he would never even give me the photos. So he said, "Look, I've got nowhere to go." I can't, yeah. nobody I can call upon. And that was another big advantage. I had friends. Um, I had friends for years and good ones at that. I mean, the kind of friends you can, uh, uh, well, here's an example. Uh, Michael, um, he knew I'd been in trouble in Asia and Thailand somewhere, didn't know what exactly word was getting. And I hadn't spoken to him for months and months and months. And I finally got the use of somebody's cell phone behind some rice stacks in the you know, coffee shop general store they have there. And I got through to Michael. I said, oh, oh finally I got through. And Michael, let me tell you what's going on here. And he said, David, look, we could get cut off at any moment. Don't explain anything. Just tell me where I've got to go, what I've got to do, and how much I'll need to get. <laughs> Now, that's the kind of thing you want to hear out of somebody, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, the kind of person you can ring at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, they've got the, the phone under the, the neck as they're stuffing <laughs> guns and money in the bag. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and but the, the, most of the people in that prison, it was, they'd blown around on the wind of um, sucker level crime where they were the couriers or on the wrong end of the deal or international junkies. I mean, the jail had everything. There were beggars inside that prison who'd come to Thailand to beg because they were European beggars, um, uh, Italians and whatnot, and they all had a sort of hobo network uh, way of looking at things. Um, and Did they, you say you were the only kingpin in there at a the time in terms of like well, international I mean, traffic? I expected the place to have its own, like some, what I'd always imagined from South American prisons, yeah, you know, big shot, you know. I and kind of enthusiastically, I said, "Well, take me to where the who's the richest here? The foreigners? <laughs> no, yeah. foreigners or shit." Yeah. Um, oh, there's, there's some Mister Big, and it took me over to some guys resting in a hammock there, mm. and he was a sea captain or something, and, mm. you know, ton of dope in it. Um, but he'd been abandoned. He, he, the Thai outlook on life is luck and no luck. Mm. Uh, and we in the West, you and I, the reason we've got money and you're sitting there on a comfortable sofa and you've got stuff around is not because your parents worked hard or you worked mm. hard or you've got talent. You're lucky. <laughs> mm. That's it. Yeah. Um, is that like their spiritual belief in everything in the order of the world is either your yeah. left or right? Yeah. Um, luck or no luck. It's... Um, and and it goes to the heart of so many things that um, their outlook on education uh, mm. corrected some. Oh, well, 
told a little kid once there uh, while I was living in Thailand to do, um, if you wanted to do your audition, you, you put the numbers underneath each other and you can follow mm. it down the line. And she was all happy about that and then was crying the next day after school. The teacher told her, no, we don't do it that way till next year. Your answer might have been the same as if you get it the other way, but you were 100% wrong. You're not allowed yeah. to do it now. And now, whereas a teacher in England would say, oh, that's good of you. You're ahead of everybody. You know? mm. But there, um, it, it wasn't taken that way. So anybody in jail is unlucky. And if they're still in jail after weeks and months, then they're... Um, we're going to be unlucky for quite some time. In a courtroom, it's a it's a wonder to behold. Um, the anything is acceptable as evidence. The defence case is referred to in Thai as the dream. <laughs> I had a the judge. There's no juries. A judge reads the evidence into a dictaphone, sees mm. it, and everybody signs it at the end. I had um, a couple of, um, there was some evidence against me which amounted to this. Um, two Australian policemen having a conversation about what I would have become if I'd been allowed to uh, succeed on uh, this imaginary operation that took place. Over mm -hmm. um, and how villainous and organized and, and bad I was. This story, which was printed in the local paper, was introduced as evidence of my guilt in the court by, and it was shoehorned in there by, uh, I think they got somebody, she was a English um, translator at the local university. And the judge reading the evidence back into the records uh, um, clearly shows that the accused is famously criminal from many parts of the world, including country, mm -hmm. lived many years. And this was verified by uh, Miss Whatever from Chalolongkorn University who's mm. got a degree in something, as though that somehow makes the evidence true. Yeah. And I looked kind of wistfully at my lawyer, and he just said, well, yes, he's wrong, but we can argue that uh, mm. in your court somewhere. It was clearly not going to... Uh... A friend of mine, John Russell, was convicted on... Um, and got 50 years in a case where the evidence was um, a blurry photograph of five people at a cafe. Uh, he was said to be the translator for a drug gang. Um, and, and that was a conviction. Um, it, it kind of. Was like, that Thailand as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're brought there, um, they must, somebody must want you in there. And unless somebody tells yeah. me different, you'll be convicted. Um, it wasn't. Uh, I always knew that wasn't going to go well. I was just trying to get enough time to... Yeah. Uh, With the knowledge of that, that's why you, you needed to make your escape because you just knew that you you're going to get sentenced, you're going to go down for life for this. Yeah, oh, I would have. And where I was going, I would have had to start again. The jail was um, worse and better. Worse in some ways that um, it was uh, really only for lifers or on death row, but it, would, it was the time involved. I would have been on death row for five years or so, uh, mm. and escape from there would have been very, very difficult. Mm. Um, and I just, um, I didn't know whether I'd be in good enough shape, you know, by then, having yeah. chains for so long. And iron bars take a bit of cutting. <laughs>
How was the escape um, executed? Because um, that would have been quite difficult, escaping out of prison on your own as well, without the help of um, your, your mate. Um, it turned out that him not being there, or anybody being there, was an advantage. Because, okay. um, for example, the um, seven who had tried to escape, there were five Thais and a Singaporean and somebody else. Mm. They'd spent a lot of time arguing between each other about um, things they'd promised that weren't true and, and alternatives which they didn't realize they'd have to make and choices. At least by myself, sink or swim, I, I could make the decision readily enough. And I'd spent a lot of time pacing out the place, imagining during the day, okay, I've got to this point, what do I do next? And I get to that point. But I, I really didn't understand the layout of the prison terribly well. And it was before the era of uh, Google Maps and Google Earth. Yes. Um, and nobody could just get me a picture of the place. Um, and friends had tried to pace it out. But you know, there was a moat surrounding 12,000 inmates in this prison, in 10 subdivision prisons within prisons. Um, a moat around the outside. Um, I think the, the outside wall was at least 15, 16 meters high with uh, electrical wire strung around it as well. So, uh, and another moat on the inside. But having said all that, the big advantage was that it had never happened. So they're not really tuned into mm. the idea of it happening. Um, also, I, I, I elevated my position there by getting uh, renting my own room, you could say. I mean, most of yeah. them were just small cells with 14 people sleeping like, literally like sardines, because one person had to have his mm. head one way and, and, and feet the other and so on. Uh, but if you um, contributed generously to the um, local building uh, restoration <laughs> fund, <laughs> I used to exercise and had to run past the building chief's office and oh David oh, I can't stop <laughs> because if I sat down for five minutes yeah. oh, he, the chief of they were all funded by your foundation uh, yeah. uh, and the trustees were all um, evil knucks over there they, they'd mm. wreck you out in a minute um, uh, that uh Okay, the the twenty odd plans I had about being lifted from the court and um, uh, welded into the back of uh, the VW van that was being repaired in the prison's auto shop, and then when that was collected, I'd be taken. They all came to nothing because I realised that um, I would be ratted out um, if there were certainly if there were ties involved, uh, but even if there was um, Europeans or or anybody else involved, there'd be chatter about it. Um, they, they didn't have much to do with their time and keeping secrets is not something they're likely to do and they'd probably drop out. So just through attrition of every other idea, the direct route was the only one. Uh, and that would involve cutting my way out of the third floor story cell, um, finding a way to get over. There was a an awning with a whole lot of broken masonry. Um, I did somehow get over that because I couldn't touch it or drop down onto it. It would crumble and alert everybody. 
then make my way across several walls, ladders, all of that. Um, it turned out to be, on the one hand, the thing that I quite liked the idea of. I mean, I was getting comfortable enough by then. I had uh, a staff of about 10. That sounds like, oh, well, the guy must have had money, but not really. I'm talking about maybe 500 pounds a month to maintain this uh, little yeah. family here. Um, sometimes we take on people, just my head butler would bring me um, people that he just liked and wanted to help. Yeah. And there was one guy he found who didn't know what country he'd come from, uh, spoke every wow. language we could throw at him with an accent. Wow. We've got a guy, try Persian. Yeah, he, he understands it, but he speaks... How, how did he look like? What, what was his features? He looked like kind of... Gee, it's hard to describe. Yeah. Um, what you know what Iranian people look like a bit? Yeah. yeah. Generally kind of hairy and dark. Yeah. Um this one was stocky, but that didn't give us any real clothes. It was very hard to identify. He'd been um he'd grown up with his, he'd lost his family when he was little. Mm. And uh there was an Iranian connection, but he didn't speak that language well. He spoke some Arabic, but his uncle had taken him to um Dubai and Qatar and some of the Gulf states, and he spoke mostly to Filipina nannies and maids and whatnot, who were mm. prisoners of their own kind, <laughs> and then came to Thailand and sort of scraped up bits of languages off the street there. So um, it, it was just astonishing, you know, uh, I was looking at Sten, the, the Swedish guy, I said, how is it we're in a world where somebody can be drifting around? Right? The guy's been to about seven countries, doesn't know anything properly, yeah. has no view of the world, not any proper education or, or anything. There. It was just so unwanted. Mm. He ended up um, in Thailand, and it was still never clear how he got there, um, and then scooped up by the police on one of their random sweeps and... Uh, and never got out. Um, nobody took an interest. So, I don't know, we gave him a job. What was it? Uh, chimney sweep or something. Didn't have a chimney. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have a chimney. I've got a chimney sweep. What have you got? <laughs> Easy had a title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, sometimes a refuge. With the, the chi my Chinese friends there, it's always good to have Chinese friends. Uh, mm. Cultivate those where you can. Yeah. You never know. They have the most intensely secretive networks and, and usually somebody somewhere who can do something. They got me my passport for this. Oh, but... oh amazing, yeah. But they brought me um, this little boy that uh, had come in somewhere and um, he had a black eye, uh, but he was so pretty. He, I mean, he looked like some little geisha girl about yeah. 12 or something. I mean, no place to be in jail. Yeah. <laughs> we, we know how he got the black eye. Yeah. Uh, and my Chinese friend said, oh, look, if you just take care of him for a couple of days, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort out something for him. Yeah, yeah okay. And um, my head butler, um, uh, Jet, um, it was only about four and a half feet, uh, 
Cole, you know, a, a complete midget, but loved butting everybody around and a good organizer. You know, he got the ice collected and went and made sure the shopping was done and everything prepared. Um, and uh, a, quite a good go between um, with some of the officers that were difficult. Um, it, it's always good to have somebody in the middle if you're caught in a, in a bad place. Because whatever goes wrong, you blame the guy in the middle. And then when you make a deal, it's like, oh, well, you know, Francis, if I'd known it would have been you, you sent that imbecile to see me. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. You know? um, so um, we, we, we put the little kid in the room. But even, even Jet, a couple of times I had to go, Jet, would you leave that little boy alone? Oh, but he's so cute. I mean, he might be cute, but that's why he gets in trouble. Last thing he needs is you molesting him here. Oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm just touching him. Yeah, well, that's... I mean, the Thai attitude to sex is pretty relaxed anyway. <laughs> but, um, so, um, <clears throat> I, uh, other things had come up, but I, I kind of kept away from the other foreigners, mostly. Uh, I reluctantly took a few into my room. Um there was uh, Kevin from Hawaii, um, and um, we had a musician friend, and, and, and it comes to mind because this goes to a point we were talking about on mm. <clears throat> outlook and where people see themselves in the world and with yeah. all of that. <clears throat> he was a very good guitarist, but he was <clears throat> born to... <clears throat> oh. <clears throat> what would I say, an unidentifiable uh, mix of Asian cultures, but um, spoke languages very, very well, you know, flawless English that he picked up somewhere, uh, good time, Malaysian, and a couple of others. Um, and his grasp of language was so good, he could tell me this. He said, David, you know, when I'm speaking another language, I can think in it. I can sometimes dream in these other languages. Mm. That's great. Yeah, but that's not the point. I'm a different person in each language. I have a different view of the world in a, in each language. So it inhabits the full culture of... Yeah, the... yeah. It's as though... Um, uh, and I, I've seen, too, um, that, you know, people under extremes where the, their languages kind of separate from themselves. It almost suggests that the part of our minds that do the talking is one section. The part that does the listening and interpreting is another section. But both of them are add-ons. Mm. They're a bit of patch software or, or something you can get. In, in our little heart of hearts, we're nothing much to do with what we interpret how we are really listening to things is, is is done by a very hard-edged master inside that mm. will will pick out things that other people are saying and the department of talking does another job and that is um if you direct it to it can pass on information but left to its own devices it will be entirely defensive network yeah you can imagine at an evolutionary level what is the big advantage to being able to communicate in words? Uh, to teach your children? Yes, but 
you know, monkeys teach the children, birds teach the children. They, they, I've seen little kids playing together. They didn't know any kind of language. They seem to get along okay. Mostly they can do that. But probably, I'm guessing, maybe your um, evolutionary biologist could clear this up. Mm. I expect that the ability to talk was the advantage of lying. And the reason that that is, you can say in the in the campfire, well, oh, because yeah, you're talking to the alpha male. And so, yeah. oh, no, tell you what, the good food is over that hill. Oh, yeah. look, go down to that. To that, that is the, look, it wasn't for my bad leg, you know. That yeah. <laughs> I'd be right over there. Yeah. Now, over there he gets eaten by a lion. <laughs> and um, so he's out of the way. Or... Uh, and this gives a breeding advantage too, yeah. because you're sending, uh, deflecting the alphas and the competition yeah. and having it off with their girlfriends and wives. Yeah. So it's your genes that are going on. Always the deceptive part of it being um, promoted and raised in the rank. Mm. Now, the ultimate in deceptive language is not appearing deceptive at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the more genuine a person sounds, that is ideally what you want because you don't have to, um, you know, that if you talk to somebody who you feel like you're being conned in some way, they're really low down on the ranks of things because yeah. they've got the, uh, but it, it does kind of make you wonder whether um, the, the organization of our, our minds is um, along any of the lines we really think they are. Um, and, and, and so many <clears throat> things that views, like this guy, the musician, he said, I'll, I'll take a, a stricter view if I'm thinking in Malay about various things, but I'll be more relaxed in, in, in Thai. And a, a lot of uh, expressed beliefs are, are really only a matter of fitting into the circumstances that we find ourselves in, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily a belief. So I, I found through all these years of um, working with uh, different people in different places, pretty much to ignore everything as though I, like, uh, uh, what was that um, traveler in ancient Greece who had uh, had his crew with wax in their ears so he could listen to the sirens and he's screaming at them. He's tied to the mast. Was it Achilles? I'm not sure. Um, uh, and no, no, I don't think it was him. But um, the I, I I really tend to more just watch what people do uh, and look back about you know. I mean, the, the friends that have helped me weren't necessarily the rich ones or the people who had something to gain. Yeah. Um, they've just decided to be your friend, and the people who fell to pieces in a, under interrogation in a police station. Yeah, McMillan's his name, that's MC, not MC. <laughs> <Get that right. laughs> were, they, were they quick to give off? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what was the old joke? Uh, you know, uh, it took one slap to get him to talk and five slaps to get him to shut out. <laughs> that's the story uh, after you don't stop, do they? But in, in terms of all these people that you, you came across, um, you, you, you talked about 
um, all the various individuals, um, were they pushed to the underground all for the same reasons? So or what, what was the commonality in terms of the reason why they were pushed into the underground? Because I know we were discussing previously via emails in regards to like country, poverty, race and so forth. Um, what was the major underlining issue for the majority of the people that you came across in um, the system? Okay, we have to strip ourselves down a bit of a bunch of side players because yeah. if we walk into a jail, um, you know, 20% of them are there because they've got nowhere else to stay. Another 20% or so because they're part of the care and the community nutters that have gone off the rails and been put in. An extraordinary number of them are wife beaters. But amongst the ones that fairly narrow band, perhaps 15%, who chose to go into a crime for a living, um, they're largely social reasons um, that they felt accepted within that group. Um and I think that generally applies almost everywhere. Mm. So much so that some of the jail babies um, would not be comfortable outside, even in the criminal world particularly, but only inside. And they'd be back within weeks after getting released. And you could see some of the young guys coming back. And, and his friends would say, oh, it was three weeks ago you, you were out. Yeah, look, I got fitted up by the cops. It was a terrible thing, and I'll tell you all about it. But bouncing down to the wings there, you know, knowing his way around, I've got a friend who's down at the stores who'll get me kitted out, you know, would organize my cell and get my drug line going and all of that. Um, back in the days when they, they used to throw things over the wall, um, you know, the. the they usually get an, an end cell with a, a good view of a flat rooftop where it'll be. Oh. There were professional throwers out there. One of the best of whom was a woman, a girl with one leg. She used to do oh, wow. 100 pounds of throw. And the parcel would be um, in bubble wrap, but also covered in little fish hooks. Yeah. And she could angle it just about within two feet of the bottom of a, a you know, outside the cell. So yeah. People would get a, a mop head and throw it out on a line, and then as long as they touched that parcel, the fish hooks would sit fish hook is it, yeah. and get it up. But these guys had come back, um, and they were at home there. And I think it's the same where um, people feel excluded by um, some group or the large group or whatever due to uh, perhaps uh, poverty or race or even within, I mean, it's so hard to, um, you know, I, I spoke about um, smugglers' tools and, and identifying people as mm. useful and uh, taking a very cynical look, never mind about what's right or wrong, how can you best find what you need to get and who to trust mm. is... Um, is there anything left of race which will tell you anything or anything left of country that, you know, don't trust an Albanian type stories or, mm. you know, um, but yeah, and haven't we heard that of every single country in the, the world? Yeah. We used to, who was the butt of jokes in England a century ago? The Irish, they used to copy. Yeah. Then somebody else gets it. Mm. But uh, I found that there was, okay, circumstance can, um, you'll find a greater number of people from a certain part of the world, you'll see them uh, up to certain kinds of mischief. Mm. But does that mean they're more crooked? No. And here's the way it works. I think it's a, a social phenomenon. 
I would sometimes I'd figure out what seemed to be uh, a, quite a good route where nobody had you know, gone before. Um, it was a reg two regional airports in Pakistan, Faisalabad and uh, I think of the other one. I think was it Multan? Could have been. They only had international flights twice a week, so they weren't set up for it. <clears throat> and um, so, relatively speaking, it was easy to, to come and go there. Uh, and time and again, I'd be in the line there and I'd meet somebody from Nigeria. <laughs> you guys, you're every time I get to the door, I'm the, I'm the idiot at the end of the queue. I mean, you're always onto everything so quickly. Yeah. And some of my friends in there say, well, it's kind of where we grew up. So, so it's a social thing. They, um, they're kind of um, sometimes city people. And I'm not talking about a black-white thing. This is something mm -hmm. within Nigeria itself. What are the, is it Ibu? Ibu, is yeah, in Yoruba. Yeah, there, there's um, some group there, uh, which is geographic. Mm. that people uh, have got a name for being untrustworthy or devious. Yeah. I don't know. I said, look, I don't understand. Like what? Mm. Um, you know how some people in your country don't trust the Jews? Yeah. Mm. It's kind of a bit like that in that way. And I'd come across that before with the um, Afridi people in Pakistan. Mm. Uh, kind of ad admired for their ability to survive in different sets of circumstances, but also resented for it sometimes at the, the same time. Mm. Um, and the, the, and the Afridi actually had that name too. Now, uh, I suppose um, were they, the Afridis identifiable by the look of them, maybe, but do you say that to yourself in, in retrospect? It's quite possible. I mean, they, um, they were known as the, um, the Jews of the Northwest Frontier Province and up, up north. And, but I think they had a more of a slightly Persian look. Um, but I think that's becoming less and less reliable as a guide to where, where what somebody's background is as time yeah. um i mean it's a bit like finding those beggars in the thai prison as time goes on um travel being so easy and cheap um people are ever more um uh, mixing and and you won't be able to uh, jump into some place you don't know and mm. look around and identify people you think come from a particular place. Mm. But what we'll always be able to do, I, I guess, with experience, is um, <clears throat> look at the way people move around a room and, and interact with other people. Mm. I think those uh, behaviorists are always saying with, with some truth that they don't have to listen to a conversation in a room they can work out by body language yeah most definitely you can sort of suss out like even dominance hierarchies through body language and movements mm. in a room yeah and and the, the, i've seen things where the uh, people and we can do it ourselves we don't need mm. somebody to, to tell us uh you can look at a party where a whole lot of people have been brought in on some vaguely common cause like a business mm. meeting or a conference or something 
and you'll see from the way that interaction who will be end up doing most of the talking or will be the influencer of the, of the place uh, or that kind of thing um, and that, uh, um, that really will be more and more a thing that people will have to um, take in if they want any guide to understanding their way around people rather than the look um, been losing it for centuries really a millennia but uh, I expect in uh, um, I mean people tend to don't they um, like I was saying uh, people went into crime because they got accepted into that criminal world more readily than somewhere else mm. um, I'll do enough to um, they get it some young person might go into the criminal world and you've probably seen it yourself and be absolutely deceived by um, uh, the bosses down there. Oh, welcome. Yeah, what, well, you had a hard time from school? Yeah, teaching. Uh. Oh, well, your parents don't understand you. Yeah, understand. Uh, your friends are... And what they'll really be doing is saying, how can we use this little one? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, we'll give him all the shit jobs. And yeah, then, and he probably goes in there with no plan as well, so he just accepts whatever it is that's handed to him. Yeah, yeah. And um, if he survives and grows up and looks back, he'll, he'll sort of realise that he was being, you know, mm. manipulated and used that way. Um, but um, within just about... Um, almost all of the people uh, that... The uh, except for a few who were kind of looking for trouble, and I and I think I was in a way. Mm. Um, I always thought that um, I was a bit impatient and in a hurry, uh, and really wanted to kind of play with my toys and uh, have all the stuff that I wanted. Not, I'm never interested in really showing off or anything, but just do interesting things and mm. uh, I think I even went into a big library once and looked up um, in the Guinness Book of Records what was the most profitable business in the world <laughs> and what was it? <laughs> Narcotics! <laughs> <laughs> it says, I remember the line like, I was 14 years old and it was like a religious moment it said yeah. the difference between the uh, wholesale price of um, opium on the poppy fields of mm. Yeah, head with the street pies, yeah. dime bags in New York City is uh, eight million percent. Because you're a millionaire by what twenty one was it? Yeah, yeah. I it was I just um, a game. very good uh, uh, market ratio at the time. One kilo would return um, half a million dollars. Um, how how long was you in the um, game at that time? Uh, about three years. Uh -huh. um, before uh, a big arrest and then things, the, the business kind of changed over years, but I had, um, I think, 18 months, which was pretty much a golden period of, of no mishaps and uh, continuous building. Um, but like all, um, but the trouble with that world <laughs> is anything that's identifiable will be confiscated. Uh, it went when the downfall comes and also you will um whatever you've got doesn't seem to matter and i've checked with other friends 
you're willing to spend a third of everything you have to get out of trouble when you're in trouble. Mm. Um, and that doesn't, depending on the, the strength of your enemy, that doesn't really help. So then once you're in prison, you're willing to spend another third um, trying to get rid of it or get out or whatever. Many times I've... Um, when I was young, I was giving money to people that I thought only maybe. Uh, because I could never see the logic in them just running away with the state money. They were supposed to pick me up in a van during a, a prison transfer or something like that. Um, because I didn't, I like to find solutions myself, um, I always thought it would be more interesting to do what you say we're going to do, get the person out of the jail and then reap the reward. I thought, that's got to work better because it's a long-term thing. You know, from this person, you're always going to be reliable and trusted and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but um, people are very short-term minded. I, I, I think that's why I end up being so dismissive about what people say and I look to kind of look, little things about their, their manner. Um, yeah, often people in prisons especially will say, um, oh, I live like shit here, but you should have seen me on the outside. I had yeah. on each arm. I had a gold toothbrush, a <laughs> titanium sports car or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not the case. It's um, um, that they... If they live like shit inside, they live like shit outside. Outside, yeah. Um, and and that is is quite a um, a challenge to um, take on. Many many people um, find it very hard to distinguish um, good from bad in people. You know, when you're outside, we've got so many clues to somebody, haven't we? Yeah. Um, even if it's just somebody on the other end of a phone or talk to somebody at a bus stop or in, at uh, some business meeting. I think, you know, we're always looking for, for little clues. We're looking them up and down, uh, husk after their shoes. Um, how irrelevant is that? But, we you know, we tend to take it all in. Um, I suppose the more superficial of us, or younger, perhaps, will look at um, the surface things like shoes and wristwatch mm. and trappings. Um, whereas when you get more experienced, you're, you're kind of sitting back now, well, I can't really judge anything at this moment. I'll have to see this person doing th things. And, and I think that uh, um, ability to uh, withhold judgment is a very good thing to have and, and it's very hard to impart upon somebody else because it's, in a way it's an un, unnatural thing. We don't want to be sitting back and making reserved judgments when a, a snake comes across the ground and bears its fangs at you. Yeah. Uh, now, there's three spots on the back of the head. <laughs> Trying to figure out what snake it is. <laughs> venomous and oh, yeah. head, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is a privilege, yeah. You know, the survivors, survivors in our past uh, have all been, for the most um making quick judgments, good ones, maybe lucky ones, but quick. Um, so it takes a bit of shaking off 
to uh, I mean I don't know do I find there's people within my family and friends who get actually annoyed if I say well I, I can't tell yet I don't have enough information mm. um, I don't know what he or she, she might do the usual things I expect unless I know different you know? Um, and um, so that they'll they'll go to make those quick judgments and in in, in prisons um, sometimes in, in in some of them the, the the first timers would be pounced upon in various ways yeah at a prison I was in once I had some Lebanese friends and some of them they're living by uh, fleecing out the the middle income uh, higher income uh, people that had come in with problems um, because you had to share a cell in the beginning I'd be looking for somebody who was completely pliable um, and I'd be standing with my Lebanese friend watching the prison van come in and we'd be looking at the you know the the slaves the coming yeah. off the, <laughs> the market <laughs> and the screws would be looking at us saying yeah yeah what are these guys up to um, <clears throat> and I'd, I'd find what I wanted by some kid, you know, looking a bit lost down at his feet, sitting on his duffel bag. And I'd say, look, <clears throat> tell you what, kid, if you come and stay in my place, there's four of us there, you'll be the fourth. This is how it goes. We work in the kitchen. We eat better than anybody around here. On the weekends, you'll be given some drugs and you'll go go to sleep or amuse yourself quietly on your little bunk over in the corner. But the rules are that you have no friends. We don't want to know about them, and they're certainly not coming into our little place. But, as I say, you'll live better than anybody else and nobody will annoy you. Um, and um, the smart ones or the lost ones said, take that, and it would be ideal. You know, uh, It's like you that person didn't exist in the room, just had to feed him. Okay, sometimes you get problems with certain kinds of drugs, they get kind of too happy and want to, for some reason, go up to the prison officers and want to make friends with them while stoned off their nuts. I like you. <laughs> People say you're all cunts, but I think you're right. <laughs> uh, so you have to go and grab them and say, don't mind him, he just doesn't know Whereas a uh, couple of these Lebanese guys, uh, they were very good, and it was it was quite a good thing to to go and watch if you were heartless enough to yeah. enjoy this kind of entertainment. Um, there was one guy who came in. I think he I only had eighteen months or something, but to him this was crushing. He'd never been away from his family so long. It was a complicated sort of fraud case. He said it wasn't his fault. It was the accountants and. This was all wonderful stuff to the guys because they were soaking up the information accountant business. What? Um, and, uh, you know, the exchange of the photographs uh, around the, the cell. Is that your wife? Oh, well, what's it? She's home now. Yeah, fine. Kids looking good. Yeah. And Alex used to say, oh, your wife, oh, no. gorgeous looking woman, if I may say so. Uh, George, did I ever tell you about my wife? Talking to one of his friends. That's like I was in here for two weeks and she was fucking everything inside. Your <laughs> wife, of course. Yeah, no. She look at her. Oh, she's 
the Virgin Mary. Now this, and she even came and sat in front of me, kissing me with those lips that had been around the dick of some scumbag. <laughs> and he turned out to be my friend as well. Did I tell you that? <laughs> not your wife, of course not. She, she looks like a saint, a saint. She'd never. So it would be cranked up so that this guy would be fretting really terribly about yeah. being away from home and away. That was step one. <laughs> and it went on so that uh, then there would be trashing the guy's lawyer. That was step two. Uh, knowingly mocking everything that happened in court and how he was uh, misled, used, taken advantage of, everything. Um, they'd even pick somebody... Uh, who's being transferred to another prison or otherwise being released, perhaps, and stage a little thing that, you know, within a week. A guy would have a box. Oh, just bring around some stuff you might need, guys. You know, thanks for all the help with the, you know, the case and everything. Mm. Oh, just glad it worked out, you know. Uh, it's nothing to do with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did that, uh, that appeal lawyer did? Go, oh. Went in there and wiped the floor with them in the higher courts. Anyway, I'm off. Uh, thanks. That's it. What was that? Oh, nothing. We we don't talk about other people's cases here. He's heard everything anyway, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how much so, How much of your life did you spend in jail overall, though? Like, in, how, how many years? Um, I think I battered it up to about 23 and a half. Okay. Um, oh. and, and that was... Uh, as I say, only about half of that was actual. And this, the, the generation of, um, of the only ones don't care if everything is known about them because I think for a couple of reasons. One, if they want to be, you know, influencers or famous in some way or on television for something, that everything will become known about them anyway. But um, they are too far removed from when that was a dangerous thing. You know, there was an old, wasn't it? They always, you could identify the Nazi in an old-fashioned movie by the, the one who comes up with an accent and says, oh, yes, to people on a train, papers, mm. please, you know, identify yeah. yourself. Um, which... And, of course, there's no need for ID cards anymore because everything about somebody's um, life is just a click away. The, um, all the credit agencies use um, uh, Google and um, particularly Facebook. If you apply for a, a loan, even if you've got a um, blemish-free, no bad thing on uh, your record whatsoever, because if you're not on Facebook, they want to know why. Yeah. Uh, there's quite. I've got uh, a few American correspondents who um, say that uh, they they try and live off the grid, but all they do is um, make their own lives more difficult for them and and look suspicious. Uh, mm -hmm. I do a lot of um, signed books, and just to make it a bit more interesting, I'll write something particular to that person. So I ask them mm -hmm. to tell me a little bit about themselves. And sometimes when that's not very helpful, I'll just click them up and see the yeah. kind of electronic footprint they've left. Yeah. And the ones where there's nothing and nothing at all um, or something and all the 
it's not even a joke icon, you know, on the top of a WhatsApp mm. thing. Somebody put a funny little picture there or maybe themselves. But it's so tiny, you're more likely to put a joke thing there, you know, where it could be um, identified. Um, and I don't know, something's coming up with your name on it saying reply to something. You're secretly asking me a question. But um, yeah. <laughs> people, um, I mean, do you think it's a, a, a bad thing where um, um, people I, have lost their... Um, yeah, 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 to an extent. Um, they, so the downside to it that I see is the, the power that that gives the social media companies and um, the influence that they have over our lives and our decision-making. I understand a... Um, I understand having to give up some of your privacy and some of your information for, I don't know, registration of stuff and um, yeah. governments being able to track stuff or for security reasons or policing reasons. But when it comes to social media companies being able to influence and advertise stuff based on our um, digital print, oh, it, then, yeah. it, then, it then puts us in a strange um, category where we, we think we're, we live in an um, autonomous environment where we make the decisions, but nonetheless, the decisions are being influenced upon us. So um, um, I don't know if you've seen Social Dilemma, which is on Netflix. It's an excellent um, documentary, and it's in regards to big tech, um, the three big ones, Google, Facebook, Twitter. And it's about the, it's, it's, it's from ex-employees talking about how they go about like controlling and influencing people to make decisions. It's almost as if they got voodoo dolls of every single individual, and they know what makes you tick. They know, they know what gets you going, and all they have to do is to prod it, and then you're active, and you're doing whatever it is that they want you to do so I you might see that. <clears throat> excuse yeah. me working i mean can you imagine i've always mm -hmm. thought that um if you wanted to create an algorithm to analyze people based yeah. on what they do on their computers okay the younger ones use it almost exclusively their phones mm -hmm. but and that's the same thing the way if you could get into the camera on the mm -hmm. it'd be good too because you'll see the eye movements over the screen yeah follow a, a kind of pattern and tell you something about the person. Yeah. The way they, r the speed at which they click on something mm -hmm. uh, compared to when they first was brought to their attention must mean something. Their mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> mannerisms and, and keyboard tone. Um, where you, you could certainly predict, I would think, um, where, how somebody would vote for sure. Um, though often that, decision is last minute and capricious and just, I mean, look, we voted, when I say we, half the country voted to get out of Europe on no more basis, in my view, than just to tickle the government's bum because, you know, that's, mm. they were asking us to stay and just to put the finger up to the government. A lot of people said, no, get out of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Regretting it, I suppose, most of them. But um, that, um, that level of in. I've always thought this, um, <clears throat> in, in the old days, I used to be able to get a false passport simply on the basis of a birth certificate and to back it up, maybe a, a bank account and, uh, mm. I don't know, a library card and, and some other bit of get on the electoral roll. That was it. Yeah. But now, if I, was, um, if I wanted to set up uh, other identities into which I could escape from a world I didn't want to be part of anymore, I'd realize... I'd have to think two or three years in advance. I'd have to start a Google and Facebook account in those names and um, give them a kind of a life. Because whether they want to uh, 
accepted or not, and perhaps this film you're talking about makes mm. the exact same point, uh, we all know that with any technology, if it can be done, it will be done. Yeah. Somebody, somewhere. You, you can legislate the hell out of things, and somewhere somebody will be doing it by another name. They'll say, mm. we'll anonymize this, or whatever the hell. It won't, won't mean anything. I'm still able to very accurately predict um, a, a person's characteristics by the, the, the way they physically do things as well with mm -hmm. what's in front of them, their, their touch on the screen. I don't know, did the film go into that part? It, of it, it did, actually, yeah. And um, that's something that I, I do as well in terms of the line of work I do. So it's like you, you can check the back end of a website to see people's movements and how quickly they click on stuff, as you just mentioned. But mm -hmm. to me, the danger comes down to who then controls this power and what's their main purpose. And we know that with social media um, companies, their purpose is to keep your eyes on their platforms and as long as possible. They want to keep you there as long as possible so that they can pay, advertisers can pay them more money and so forth. So they, they, they never necessarily regulate what it is that you're watching. All they care about is that they find out what ticks you, what, what keeps you going and what keeps your attention span on there and then they keep pumping you to it. So I was recently reading this interesting article in regards to the link between um, anti-vaxxers and stay-at-home moms. And um, it, it shows that, uh, like, with a lot of stay-at-home moms who, like, newly, new parents and newly mothers for the first time, their main concern is their children. So they'll go online and do research in regards to um, vaccines that their children have been asked to come and get. And what that then leads to now is that the algorithm on Facebook, for instance, might know that the big topic of discussion at the moment is all of the conspiracy behind vaccinations. Right. So now... These single mother, these stay-at-home mothers are being drawn into a world which they might not have known about previously. So then they get caught up and start watching more videos, and then the algorithm start pumping you with more stuff because they know you, you'll get you're getting addicted to this information. So then you have a whole line of stay-at-home mothers who are now super anti-vaxxers, not because of that that was their line of interest before. Um, but it's just because they've been drawn into it due to the circumstances that they're in, and now they've been caught by the system, with a system which only cares about your attention and then pay and then sponsors paying them. So, it's who controls it. What's the legislation that um, keeps those companies and um, powerhouses away from abusing that power? That well, is I mean, I think that just the way that question's been raised opens that difficulty. Mm. Um, if information exists. Uh, uh, and and it's there. We can we can pass laws that restrict access, but that will fail because yeah. somebody will have access, mm -hmm. and therefore everybody has access by means one way or another. Even if they backdoor it out there by pseudo anonymizing it uh, before it gets squeezed out, and then at the other end they they re-identify. Um, now, how can you pass a law? saying and covering every use for information that you don't want them to do, mm. while on the other hand, allowing them to do the stuff that's good for them to do. You know, like um, if we could predict that uh, <clears throat> a certain exposure to substance X or, or lifestyle Y uh, can make you have a 20% greater likelihood of succumbing to Alzheimer's. And you can identify Alzheimer's by all the information you have, that it's 
way it's not even early onset it's 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 in the future but reliably predictable if you have access to the works now um everybody presumably would say yeah if, if you could bypass that that risk of somebody getting it um yeah they should be allowed but that information is exactly the same information that the person who wants to manipulate your behavior uh, yeah. can do yeah. and this is not entirely a new idea when i joined a kind of very big advertising company um, in my, when I was about 19, um, we were sent on a course, an American company, called Belief Dynamics. Mm, very American. <laughs> ACS Advertising. Yeah. A corporation with a heart. <laughs> so, um, uh, what, it, what it taught was... Um, the best bits of the U.S. Psychological Warfare Department combined with, um, you know, case studies of uh, behavior analysis. And as far as <clears throat> advertising was concerned, it was that you were spending too much time uh, trying to change what somebody believes. Mm. What you do is make the thing that you want them to do, buy their stuff, uh, seem part of what they already believe. So um, you corrupt their uh, existing belief system into incorporating uh, product X. And so it was quite a useful um, bit, of, bit of training, I thought. Some of it was very obvious, but on the other hand, some of it was less so. But um, yeah. <clears throat> I would think um, that there would be... I, I, I don't think... You know, the expression is always, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's very hard to put him back in. Mm. Uh, I think this one's escaped a long time ago now. Very, really. yeah. It's, it's, um, and it's other hands now. We, we just have to... And you can't, you can't help an idiot, really. Um, <laughs> if you, you can warn them to hell, but if, no, they say, that's the way I feel about it. I, I'd rather take option X or something. Um, they might have been manipulated into a feeling that way, but then again, what's the? I, I think sometimes we we tend to blame the technology because it's new. Um, you know, people thought the telephone was an evil thing, being in people's yeah. TVs as well. TV yeah. was actually watching you for a mm. long time. Now, when TVs are watching you, people don't pay any attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, because there's you know something other um if we pick anything look at the two things that um were modern and scary and unknown uh, <clears throat> 5g networks mm. and uh, a virus and that was kind of very inscrutable this virus and vaguely connected with inscrutable asiatics <laughs> and Dr. Wu <laughs> in some laboratory somewhere. <laughs> uh, you know, it had all, all the um, uh, all the perfect sort of alignment of fears um, to make people feel bad about it. But in, in as much as we can't shoot the messenger, we can't really um, uh, moan too much about something that... Uh, yeah. Look, people will say to each other, Funny thing, I, I looked up um, dining chairs the other day, and now I can't get anything on Facebook which doesn't have ads all down the side of it about dining chairs. Yeah. 
And you think, well, fine, but did you click on one of them just to see whether <laughs> that would actually fit? Well, I did, but, you know, yeah, I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> it. Um, it's, it, it, people kind of want the services, yeah. but uh, want to be courted first, you know. Yeah. Uh, Have you tested out the voice test? So there is there's this system. I've, d I've done it several times, but only once it's worked. So what, what you do is you open up several apps um, mm -hmm. on your phone and then and then make a phone call to someone whilst the apps are still open and yeah. say, oh, um, oh, I need a new suit. I've, I've been wanting a wedding suit. My mate's wedding is coming up, wherever uh -huh. you have a minute conversation. And then when you go back to the app, supposedly you're meant to be inundated with all the things that you were talking about on your phone because they're listening to the conversation for keywords. I've, I mean, there's a reason I've tried it several times, um, gazillion times, and only on one occasion I saw one little ad, so I'm not sure how how much of a coincidence that was, but that's supposed to be the new thing, that everything's being listened to and we're waiting for key, and it waits for keywords in order to then inundate you with advertisement. I think that we're also perhaps a little too willing to give credit to um, yeah. devices that would be... You know, I've always thought that one of the... and I've, I've looked at this even in the smuggling days. Was it uh, cost-effective for the police to be taking these measures uh, and uh, against me or anybody for that matter? And if it didn't measure up on the economics test, then I generally dismiss it. This would be too expensive to, to run, so don't worry about it. And I think that um, applies to a lot of conspiracy theories and also to... Um, certain elements of technology that um, somebody asked um, if you were the other day was asking about um, oh isn't it harder to cross borders with um, face recognition technology mm -hmm. well it's face recognition technology is pretty hopeless it struggles with matching the biometrics of your passport to your face in front of them yeah I'm, all, I'm always yeah. having to move to the other side after trying yeah. to scan my passport yeah because the the, the well, they've got on that chip is they've taken the original photo that you applied for the thing with, mm. and they've measured what a machine can read, and it can only read things that contrast. So it can read the pupil in mm. the eyes and the distance between, and it can guess at where the bottom of our ears stop and sort of see the nostrils and uh, have a pretty good stab in the dark about, you know, what's the end of the chin and the top of something else. And you're not allowed to smile or, you know, yeah. do anything to distort these things. Um, so if you stand in front of the, the machine that reads your passport at the, at the airport to come back, you know, you don't have to put on much of a smile for it to, to give a false reading. I mean, they're trying to improve on these things. Uh -huh. But... All they're doing in this case is trying to match two sets of numbers, the one they get from the camera in front of you face on with the one they got from the picture face on. Mm -hmm. so to, to look across at a crowd on millions of angles, uh, on fleeting frames which are probably blurry because of movements, mm -hmm. um, you need so much to give that any se uh, semblance of accuracy um, to identify anybody. You could maybe, if you or I were super wanted, you could maybe set up your biometrics so that they could <laughs> reduce to a, a short list of a thousand people every day who went mm -hmm. through Waterloo Station or something like that with um, 
uh, with some characteristics to say. I mean, the way people, the manner of the way people walk is another thing and, mm-hmm. and move their hands. But you need quite a lot of um, uh, data to rule out the, you can't do it with just a few seconds worth. Mm. Um, especially the way somebody walks or moves their hands. I, it's, it's there to be got. But <clears throat> I, certainly from an advertiser's point of view, in, uh, there's a lot of easier ways, as you know, to um, tailor ads to uh, what you might be looking for. Mm. Um, this, um, and, and pretty much just based on, on your searches on other platforms will do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, that's how I, I think that I don't know how much of the I'm sure they use the the amount of time you, you spend as well. Yes, know? yeah. I think time is the most essential part when it comes to the metrics now. It's about how much time you spend on it. So I mean I spend most of my days watching documentaries. I don't hardly watch any TV. I watch I can watch about ten documentaries in a day and or just have it playing in the background. So I'm always being inundated with documentaries, but it's always documentaries that I want to watch because obviously they. they well, it's, it's been you look able at that YouTube. I mean, YouTube throw up to me. Yeah. Uh, often as not something I'm vaguely interested in in watching. Yeah. yeah. I typed in. Um, I half caught a bit of. I was driving back from somewhere the other day, and it was mm. difficult. And I caught the tail end of Science in Action, and I think. Um, um, I. It's somebody talking about um, an emergent property of entanglement uh, being mm. time. And I wanted to really try and understand more of what that meant mm. because those things are not, you know, straight away you can grab them. Yeah. And um, a couple of searches later, and, and I'll have in my options, um, YouTube will have um, some sign, but I, I want that. I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't the thing. Think, I don't yeah. think young people do, and I think they're willing to. Uh, just the idea that they're. I think. Do you think they believe that the, their lack of privacy and the fact that somebody is interested in what they they choose mm. is um, it one step on the ladder to fame for them? Um, I think so. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, because because we live in an era where people know how easy it is to potentially go viral and um, potentially change your life with one clip, one sound bite. So everyone's kind of fighting in this space to get famous. So they don't mind. Their, their information is out there anyway. You can you can go into anyone's Instagram and literally they'll have their whole life pulled out there. Every time they have an argument with their missus or or with their other their partner, there's a statement out there. There's, a, there's something. No, no one likes privacy anymore. And I think... Um, also, um, reality TV shows has played a part in that as well, that you can put out your day-to-day life out there and it's fine. It's becoming culture now. It's becoming the norm. So we're used to going online and seeing people live out their day-to-day lives with their families around. So it's changing the scope of culture and how we see privacy. It's kind of like... Well, it's, even it's, the fact that uh, Gogglebox has got um, Google an Box, entertainment yeah. value. Uh, yeah. Who would have thought if somebody had suggested to you, oh, look, we'll yeah. get quite a high audience of uh, having yeah. people sit around watching television. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Why, why do I want to watch someone? Yeah. My, my yeah. sister actually made a suggestion that um, to get me and my family on Google Books, but then we realized that you can't actually apply for it. They find random people on the street. So this was something that I would have potentially ended up being on had, had that been successful. So. Uh, yeah. No, what we've got to think of is an alternative to uh, 
a yeah. goggle box, something uh, we can do online. Um, huh? We're uh, we'd be entertaining enough. Yeah. What we're doing now, which I'm sure is hugely entertaining to a lot of people. Yeah, m- most definitely. Because uh, I mean, I enjoy podcasts. I really, really do. Um, apart from doing them myself, I love listening to them. So on my car rides, I'm always on my Spotify listening to people having conversations about all sorts of stuff. And um, it- it's strange because I, t- I find myself finding things that I wouldn't do on my day to day life entertaining. Like there is, um, like th- there's podcast about meditation. I'm not a meditator myself, but I'll listen to these ladies talk about meditation for an hour. Right. <laughs> well, I think most people listen to. Uh, originally, a podcast was audio only, but mm. now it applies to uh, our videos. And I think most people <clears throat> simply listen to. Uh, they certainly listen to mine more than they watch. I could have, uh, you know, a grizzly bear walk across the back of my green screen and uh, nobody would think anything of it. Yeah. Just about 90% do the listening. Yeah. Um, and so, I, and even, I notice in, in publishing that's changed too now. Um, if I'm scrambling to get all the uh, audio books done because um, – most of uh, most of the people who would like to uh, read what I say simply don't have uh, downtime where they can sit and read a book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I've had enough myself. I fall asleep if I'm trying to read. I've got yeah. things by my bed that'll never get read. Yeah. Uh, famously, Stephen Hawking's book was a bestseller with never being read. Um, <laughs> a Short History of Time has been read by one in 100 of people who've ever bought it. Wow. I've actually read the thing. Um, the audio, audio book, uh, fortunately not narrated by his voice synthesizer, is, uh, sells a lot better than his. And I think um, I would say to anybody who thought of, um, had ambitions of doing any kind of writing, they would be best thinking of how it's going to sound narrated. Yeah. Because I've had to really um, adjust my writing style to suit uh, the, the narration. Um, mm somewhat because um, some things read better or differently than um, than they are spoken so it, it yeah. kind of fails that test but um, um, all the big publishing houses have uh, gone belly up and yeah. um, they won't take on anybody unless they're a ce- that person is a it's a celebrity or a celebrity story ghosted by somebody or um, sort of loosely in the celebrity self-help, do-it-yourself, yeah. cooking, um, <laughs> yeah. fitness. Or fitness, yeah, fitness is a big one, um, where, where they'll go and get surgery and then release a fitness book about how they exercise <laughs> like 20 times a day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can come up with, uh, you know, um, uh, joke titles and, uh, and, and it'll catch people's attention, though they always have. Um, what was it? Something called "Why I Really Don't Give a Fuck" or something? Or some book like um, how, "How to Not Give a Fuck." Oh yeah, it was. But yeah. um, the person obviously gave one enough <laughs> to substitute the "u" in the word in question with yeah. an asterisk. Yeah. Uh, so, kind of um, defeated the purpose. Reminds me of um, one of the Chicago Seven, Abby Hoffman. Uh, yeah wrote a book called Steal This Book, uh, encouraging readers not to pay for it and support the the man, Big Brother, you know, and all of that. Um, 
Oh, I don't think it's like Big Brother, the TV show, is known to a lot of people, but very few know that it's based on um, Orwell's 1948 book. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, they, 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 they have the sense of big... I don't know. In fact, I've really been meaning to ask somebody who didn't know the connection with the book what they thought the Big Brother part of it meant. It refers to the camera on them, 24 Yeah, seven. yeah, the camera. Yeah. But um, in, in George Orwell's book, 1984, um, it was written in 48, and it's, so it's 1948 backwards. With the point. Uh, people's lives are very controlled and regulated, and their televisions are in their homes, but to watch them mm. and to make sure they behave themselves. Um, so it was a Dutch TV programmers who first came out with Big Brother, the show. Um, but they... <clears throat> so the idea was it was going to be how would people react with... Uh, a camera on them 24-7 but yeah. you know now they'll perform yeah. like little cougars <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the thing everyone's been, and I think the the performance side comes from I think the um, the allure of like reward at the end celebrity the potential oh, yes, the winner potential to advertise yeah the winner the potential to advertise tea for 200 grand a picture on Instagram or something so that oh, allure was a big drive if somebody was a bit of a nobody uh, yeah. if come out of I'm a celebrity you're yeah. somebody yeah get me out of here they can then write the book um how i survived being a celebrity yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. what do you think going forward we can do what do you think going forward is going to happen in, re in relations to like our privacy is it going to be a case where everyone's just going to be this guinea pig in a big tub of like big brothers watching us 24 7 and we're just going to become accustomed to it it's going to be like have you have you seen the minority report the movie Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So are, are um, we going to live think, in a successful uh, world? I think we have to rein in our fears with uh, a bit of uh, economic application here. Uh, what it'll be worth doing, after all, there's 7 billion people on the planet. Um, the, people won't seem to worry about it too much, but um, it... Uh, look, the old thing is, isn't it? If you've got nothing, if you're not doing anything bad, you've got nothing to worry about. Well, that's not really the case. Certainly, if somebody um, who's in, in control of uh, these things, even as just some pen pusher somewhere, decides to mess you up, yeah. they can throw your name in the wrong place and you, oh, everything will sort of blow out backwards. Your credit will be no good and you'll be on a suspect list and all of that kind of thing. Um, but the 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 horse has bolted on that one that we have we have no privacy and not likely to get any um just out of um the sense of having a b plan i think uh, people would be wise to uh um find um a country of citizenship that they might otherwise didn't realize they're entitled to uh <laughs> Boris's father is getting himself a From, French passport. Yeah. So, he bought it out of here really quick. I mean, yeah, uh, Ghana is in my reef, so, so I'm, I'm, my, my family's originally from Ghana, so I'm like, worst case scenario. You get one of those, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working on getting my Ghanaian passport as we speak, so I'm going to be a dual citizen, and if worst case scenario, I'll just go back home. <laughs> there, there is that, but here's the other thing you can do. Somewhere along the line, you get a name change, it might be easier to do it here than there. It's certainly easy to do here. But in whichever case you do it, um, you uh, go park it up in the place that you've got eyes of becoming um, a citizen of. 
I'd probably go, in my case, for Irish uh, and park something there. Um, so it looks like you're, you've been a resident for three years or, or some such. Um, alternatively, Portugal is quite good because you can become a citizen quite quickly there. Okay. So um, if you say that you've been, they don't know any different, that you've been uh, there for... Um, See, there's another disadvantage of getting out of the European Union, but still, there's ways around all that. Mm. Um, I sense a video coming up on that one. Um, the, you, you have that, um, it's really yourself, but another alter ego, I guess, because you've had a name change along the way there. The only thing holding it, um, with immovable information is, is a date of birth. So who knows? Yeah. Um, and that way you've you've got somewhere to run. But I think in terms of um, bad things that can happen, I think we can always say this about the world. No matter how uh, intrusive the, uh, um, the search and the examination, we can always relax to some extent because we can rely upon human incompetence and half-wittedness. Never to do the job quite right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and we should never, for that matter, never blame on, if you think somebody's out to get you, should never attribute to malice what should be better cast to mere stupidity and incompetence. Yeah, and that is usually the case yeah. too. That, that's until AI completely takes over. So yeah, that's most definitely the one. But um, in conclusion, or today, I just wanted to ask you one um, final yes, we question. Yes, we're getting a little bit on with time here. Yeah, we we done well actually, three and a half hours, which is which is my longest so far. But I've, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, I can definitely talk to you. Oh, all, you might be able to put it to. Uh, Put a, we can put a middle in there if you want. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll split that. Yeah, um, I, I was going to ask you. So, what's what would you say is some of the greatest lessons you've learned from your life experience, like through everything that you've been through? And um, mm, okay, um, <clears throat> there's quite a few, but um, to flatten them down, um, uh, don't take any wooden currency. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah um more seriously than that uh <clears throat> you should be you should look back on a life and be surprised at the number of people you can forgive and if you look back and you're surprised at the num number of people you can't forgive i think you've been doing something you know inextricably wrong uh <clears throat> not to uh be too quick to judge on anything and mm. certainly never act on the day you know how they always say sleep on it yeah. they say that for damn good reason it's almost yeah. always worth they, they never make uh, yeah. take an action that's immediate um <clears throat> and thirdly um here's here's the probably the widest greatest thing enjoy the moments if we have them in this slice of human history and time. Because uh, I've lived through uh, from 1950 through till now, and I hope to keep going till um, 2050, at least with some uh, drooling through my napkin or having <laughs> spoon-fed my porridge. <clears throat> there will come a time uh, when you mentioned AI, there will come a time when um, AI's 
cracked that little barrier of being able to teach itself things that it needs to know mm. and <clears throat> postulate on things and find novel solutions. After all, we're basically a, a machine that thinks itself as conscious because when we dream, we can imagine things that are a surprise to us. You know, our mm. brains are that compartmentalized. Mm. I mean, I think it's extraordinary that a consciousness, <clears throat> yeah, I've, you probably had them too, you've had dreams in which the outcome of it was a surprise. Yeah. <clears throat> and so some part of your mind has kept something from you, mm -hmm. has known in advance and decided to keep that little surprise <coughs> for you later on. Yeah. Now, when the machines can, <clears throat> and, it, and it feels like one big one, but of course, and it won't be far off it. Uh, once the machines re reach that level of sophistication, all human activity ceases to be of any significance um, in terms of having dire outcomes or life-threatening or fearful things. Um, we won't really, we will only have to rein in the speed of this, this great mind we create, mm -hmm. which will solve our power problems uh, food problems and everything else. There will be generations born, and I generally I don't like these future predictors because they don't go far enough. Uh, there will be people born who the, to whom the idea of eating uh, a dead animal will be so sick and alien. Oh sure, we'll you know as we're growing the nutritious uh, protein meat substitute that uh, we will get in, in 20, 30 years. At first, they'll be stamped out to look like little steaks and little chickens. But when a, a generation of kids say, what the hell does that look like a chicken for? Yeah. Why are you making our food imitate you know, bits yeah. of animals? It's all right in um, Cheerios, but we don't like it on a big slab on the plate yeah. you know, with pretend veins going through it. When, uh, when all of that's gone, there, there won't really be any truly threatening things because you'll be safe at in every instance. The world population will shrink down to about uh, 7 million and then bounce back up and stabilize at 10. And I say that because people will have less than uh, two children to replace the stock. Mm. But the stock will be, at some point, never-ending growing because short of being uh, obliterated in some, uh, uh, you know, atomic accident or something uh, will near enough live forever as our, our, as our minds will be um, transferred to a sort of a semi-biotic uh, yeah. human look-alike. And um, in, in my old line of work, it'll all be gone with the wind because as soon as they wire in um, little tiny uh, threads that stimulate the nerves within the brains, all, all of those drugs will be delivered by yeah, stimulants. Yeah. And there'll be uh, underground programs for a while on ecstasy programs <laughs> yeah. that people will be furtively selling to each other yeah. um, <clears throat> until you, somebody tells you to take your finger off the uh, pleasure button, <laughs> which some people will be reluctant to do. And, and I can understand why, because... Um, uh, for those of us who, uh, who might chase supreme joy, living your life without it, staring at each other, uh, 
just wait until you can get back in your electro cupboard to um, live a simulated life or press that pleasure button again. We're, we are living at the best time. Really, you could, I can even crack the date. We'll say 1945. Why? Because the worst of the world wars was coming to an end. Uh, and penicillin, hallelujah, brothers and sisters, <laughs> was available and working. Yeah. <laughs> now, we can take from there on end for uh, a couple of hundred years to be the best time of humanity. And I think I mentioned to you in a, a, an email that all the things we hold as wild injustices and terrible things that we have to correct in the world, there'll be generations that look back fondly and say, oh, that's when we gave a shit about anything. There's nothing wrong. Everything's managed. I can even take the non-management switch off for a thrill. Yeah. But I know it's fake. If I really get myself in trouble hanging over a railway track, even though they're all underground, emergency switches will go in on that program and stop me from going over. In fact, don't you think, Francis, that in 500 years' time, facing a near eternity of a single consciousness existence as you go on, people's entertainment, sure, there'll be simulated realities, but there'll be more than that. The only one you'd find in your future self is remotely entertaining is one in which you didn't know it was a simulation. You're not allowed to know until the end of it. Otherwise, yeah. you have a fear of death. Yeah. It's just like watching a movie. It's just a sideshow. Yeah. Only one in which you truly believe that this is you and you've grown up. Now, some scientists say, oh, you can't simulate a whole universe like that. But we're not. We're just simulating the stimulus to Francis's brain yeah. as this so perception of yeah. So I can have the old experience internally without having to leave the comfort of my home. No. Yeah, and um, what would be the period that you choose to go to? Ancient Rome, probably at some point. Uh, Han Dynasty, China, why not? Um, but you'd certainly pick the twenty and twenty-first century, probably the twentieth century, and not far afterwards uh, to do it. So troubling as it may be, either we're alone in the universe, Francis, or you're living your simulation as one of your entertainments, and I'm just part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a, that's a mind-boggle to leave me with. <laughs> mm. Oh, statistically, it's, it's unavoidable. Dawkins it's unavoidable. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. All right, then. Well, it's a it's pleasure to have been here the last few hours. Yeah, it absolutely has been, and I'd love to catch up with you another time, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, what have you got planned for the rest of your day? Uh, my grandson is uh, got to be he's out there wrecking something at the moment. Nice. He's got a new Nintendo.